this episode. Kramer, can they see Kramer? They can. They can see Kramer. If you can't see Kramer, our dog, he is in the video frame, but he is welcoming you to the start of this episode. This episode is, ooh, it's a vulnerable one for me. Actually, I haven't talked about this publicly. I don't think, but no. I have a fear of flying, and this is not something I have dealt with forever. This is in the last two or three years. I've become horribly afraid of flying. I used to love it so much so that I thought I was going to be a pilot. I have literally flown a plane before. I loved flying. And a few years ago, I don't know, something clicked and I became horribly afraid. And so getting over this fear of flying has been a real challenge for me the last few years. I haven't let it stop me from going anywhere, but it's definitely been to where I get very anxious, like weeks leading up to it. And then a couple of days before, like I don't eat like I will not eat a bite the entire day we fly like I will be so nauseous I can't eat and then we land and I'm starving <laughs> so it's just been this like horrible horrible thing for me the last few years that I've been very embarrassed of being a travel blogger yeah you're a travel vlogger who doesn't like to travel no I like to travel and I'm not gonna let it stop me from traveling I will still buy the dang ticket but I don't enjoy the process of it like I used to there's a reason why Chris and I have not filmed in the airports the last few years because I have been just a wreck I mean I you know, there've been a couple here and there, a couple fights. Like I remember flying to Iceland. I did fine. Like mm -hmm. I was a little bit nervous, but I handled that one fine. But there have been other ones like Korea. I was not okay. Even going to Mexico, my worst flight I've had has been a two hour flight well, to I, Mexico. I think our worst flight ever was actually flying into our hometown, Chattanooga. Well, bump wise. Bump yeah, wise. And, wise. Yeah. yeah. And nothing, I mean, it was just, I think an overeager pilot. It was an overeager pilot. It was a new pilot, I think. He was yeah. young. Yeah. We got there, barely. <laughs> not really. It was fine. <laughs> but a couple, I mean, when we went to Mexico back in April of this year, I, it was a two hour flight from Texas to Cancun. And I have never been so riddled with anxiety in my mm -hmm. life. So I'm saying all that to say that I have since learned in talking with a few friends, but there are a lot of y'all out there too who struggle with flying. Something that supposedly we're told is completely rational. That's, you know, this statistically you're way safer in the air than you are on the road. Like, I'm sorry, but when I'm up 40,000 feet in the air, right now stats don't help me. Like, I want to be on the ground. <laughs> well, and social media doesn't help either. When no. you're going through reels or TikTok and you start seeing videos of passengers being carried off planes or you see somebody that had an accident you know and that the entire plane had to leave or you just you hear all of these stories now granted if you look at a map of all these airplanes you'll notice that there are thousands in the air oh, yeah. and the news will just pick up on one little airplane or one little trip and but you see that and you hold on to that and while you're on the plane mm -hmm. you start thinking is this going to be that trip? Is this going to be that trip? I mean, Hollywood alone. Ho like, mm, I get so angry at Hollywood, how they prey on the fear. I mean, you go to Netflix and there's like 20 documentaries on flights that have crashed. And there's movies like Castaway. I mean, I <laughs> cannot believe my parents let me watch Castaway. Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> Such a classic. Okay. We're going into a lot of depth here about being afraid of flying. But I'm saying all that to say, being very honest and saying, I have a fear and I've worked at overcoming it. I am in the process of overcoming it. Um, and this this guy that we're talking to today, his name is Kyle. Kyle recently started a business called Dial a Pilot. And I discovered this, thank you, Instagram. But his business is designed to, you can call a pilot before or after your flight and talk to them about turbulence on your flight, your specific flight, the specific aircraft, all this mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I just thought that idea was so cool. Instead of me trying to run around the internet and piece together information on my own of what I thought the turbulence was going to be from the maps I was finding on Google, 
they could actually help us out. And I think that's such a genius idea. And I wanted, we wanted to have Kyle on and talk to us and also answer a lot of my irrational questions. Well, and I have a lot of weird questions to ask pilots. So <laughs> that's, you're not afraid of flying. No, <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not. The only time I get afraid is when Sarah gets afraid. So it's, we both feed off of each other, but you're not bad though. No. And I'm more invested in what the air stewardess has on the cart. Like what drink am I going to get? <laughs> How many Biscoff biscuits will I get? I like Chris, that's, we knew that little cart comes by. He gets his posture, gets real straight. He'll, what do you got? Well, and I'll put a pause on my TV show and take my headphone off just so I'm just like, I want to make sure I hear all the questions. Like you don't know it's Biscoff and Cheez-Its again. Oh, please. But they may say, would you like more? Uh, Why, well, yes, I did. I paid all this money. I want some more you snacks. You already get double. Lately, you get double on flights because I won't eat mine. So I just pass Chris mine. So Absolutely. he gets double the Biscoff. Yeah. So while Sarah struggles with her anxiety <laughs> on a plane, I benefit on the food wise, but I don't benefit in the other. The, no, the, yeah. you're really a good sport about it. But Chris's questions are a little bit more off the wall because he doesn't deal with the, the struggling of flying. I'm here to find out, give me the information. How well are you guys actually trained? And Chris is here. Like, what hey, do you want to know? I want to know if we even need pilots. Give us the drama. <laughs> yeah. So without further ado, we are going to get into our conversation with Kyle from Dial a Pilot. Kyle, thank you so much for being here with us today to talk about something that is very important to me, which is uh, being afraid of flying and helping people overcome that. So first off, just thank you for being here, and we're so glad you could be. Oh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm very excited to be here, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's just get into the nitty-gritty. Tell <laughs> us like who you are, like where you're at, like what you do, all, all the good stuff that everybody needs to know. Absolutely. So... Uh, my name's Kyle Kokal. Uh, I'm an airline pilot. I've been flying professionally for 10 years now. And uh, right now I actively fly the Boeing 737. Uh, previously, I flew the 757, the 767, the Embraer uh, ERJ-175, and then a variety of private jets before that. Uh, and still actively fly general aviation, which just is a fancy way of saying small airplanes. Um, I have always loved flying. It's, it's just such a kind of fabric of my being. Uh, and so my wife now, uh, when we first met, her sister was really afraid of flying. And so I would, I would take all these phone calls from her and we would talk about the turbulence of the upcoming flight. We'd talk about the different types of airplanes that she was on, um, all those different things. And uh, when my wife and I moved to San Francisco, I started meeting friends and they had the same questions. And uh, you know, we just kind of went through it more and more. And so I started to study uh, aviophobia, the fear of flying, and realized, wow, there's this really kind of underserved segment of that uh, group that that just needs to be able to kind of go out there and, and talk through their, um, you know, their questions and, and figure out, hey, I don't like this part of takeoff, but I think it's just because I don't understand it quite right. So I want to figure that out. And, you know, there's a lot of YouTube videos that can help with that. But what better way to learn than by being able to ask very pointed, specific questions. And so that's kind of what we started doing. Uh, and I think to answer the, the rest of your question, I live in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so I get to fly all over the world, which is really cool. Yeah. That's so cool. 
Oh man. All right. I have a, I have a lot of questions, <laughs> but I know this is something that's near and dear to Sarah's heart. Well, yeah. Fear of flying is something that's very new to me. I actually wanted to be a commercial pilot all the way through college. Like I've done the whole like intro flight. Like I oh, thought awesome. I was going to be a pilot. Like this is like, I was dead set on it and then changed my mind. Cause I realized I really don't like sitting still that much. Like I don't think I could do like <laughs> international totally. flights all the time, but I love traveling. So anyway, pivoted away from that. But during COVID, I actually developed this really, I keep calling it an irrational fear of flying, but turns out it's probably not so irrational because a lot of other people have the same fear. Um, and I don't know where it came from, but suddenly I am just like full on panic attack flying. And it's, I want to say it's getting better, yeah. but dial a pilot is one of those things that I have recently discovered. And I was like, that is such a cool idea because until I discovered you guys, I was sort of like piecing together little bits of information I was finding online about the flight. Like, you know, what's the turbulence going to be like and trying to, look at the weather radar. I'm not a meteorologist. So this is like, I was making it worse for myself than right, what I probably right. should have been. But that's why this is really important to me because it's a, a new fear that I'm in the process of overcoming. So um, you said briefly that your, is it your sister-in-law had the fear of flying. Yep. I'm just going to go ahead and ask, how's she doing now? Has this helped her? She still has it, um, but she definitely has it in, in a less significant manner than she used to. Uh, and so we see varying kind of levels of success with, with each one of our clients. Some people come back to us and, and after a 15 minute phone call, if you can believe it, say, oh, I'm, I'm fixed. And I'm like, really? That's amazing. But, uh, you know, some, they come back on every flight and, and really what we're trying to do is exactly what you just said. And you can go out and gather all of this information and see, oh, okay, I'm flying over a cold front and through an area of low pressure and it's really windy on the surface in Albuquerque what does that really mean? Does that mean anything to your flight on that day? And so that's what we're really able to go in there and do and, uh, you know, give a professional, uh, you know, kind of analysis of what your flight is actually going to be that day. So that's what we're really aimed at doing and, and helping, uh, you know, exactly what you just said to, to kind of understand it on a more, uh, you know, significant level. So yeah, Lindsay, she still uh, she still is a little bit nervous traveling, but she she knows that she can call me before every flight. So it, it does work out pretty well for both of us. Yeah, that's such a great idea. So is there is there a common theme on like what causes people to have a fear of flying? Like, are there common excuses that that people give you? You know, it's interesting. What I've found recently is a majority of people, Sarah, are really like yourself that that it came on randomly, kind of you know later in life is a loose term, but you know, in more recent years, I think, and I don't know if that had to do with the pandemic and being separated from folks or, or kind of what it all boiled down to. But, um, you know, we see a lot of people that come to us from social media that talk about, I saw this video and this kind of scared me. Can that happen again? Mm -hmm. And then they see an article written by, you know, some media outlet that says, Oh, there's been 47 close calls in, in the U S airline industry over the last, you know, year, something like that. And so we're able to actually just provide context on that. And I think that's really what a lot of people come to us with. And then, of course, the questions vary from things like turbulence and noises and kind of what uh, a specific feeling is on the airplane, whether that be, you know, a backwards tumbling feeling or a sinking feeling after takeoff, you know, those sort of things. We're kind of able to uh, track that down and say, oh, well, actually, why you feel like you're tumbling backwards is what's called the Coriolis illusion. Uh, or actually, that one's the, the somatographic illusion, rather. Uh, so, you know, just little things like that, where we can kind of give somebody the context to understand what's, you know, what's happening. I love that. I mean, I, hmm, I don't even know where to go with this. Cause I, I want to have so many questions. Cause I, 
maybe it's just me. I'm the kind of person who needs all the information. And maybe there's a <laughs> there's like a common theme between all of us who have a fear of flying, who need to know all of the, that information. But sometimes I feel like too much information can be bad. And I think that's kind of what you were saying. Like you're seeing these articles, you're seeing these reels online and that's igniting fear in people. And I'm guilty of that. Like the algorithm has learned that I'm afraid of flying and they will feed that to me because I'm like, I've got to know what happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our YouTube is so oh, messed absolutely. up right now. It's just, it's awful. <laughs> they prey on fear. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, you know, information is good as long as it's packaged in a way that, that is easy to understand and easy to not jump to conclusions on. Yeah. And in aviation, you know, of course, I always tell people, of course, you're going to be afraid of flying in some way or another. It's you're getting in a metal tube with 200 other people and there's two people in front that you don't know. And they're hurtling you 500 miles an hour, you know, at 40,000 feet in the air. Yeah. That's scary. Mm -hmm. And so we get it. And so, you know, of course, it's easy for your brain to go to what's called that confirmation bias and look for reasons that it's in danger. And so, you know, flying is a very natural place to do that. So, being able to stop that confirmation bias by giving information that that actually seeks to stop from you know telling yourself you're in danger is really kind of where that all you know comes into play and I think that's what's so helpful about it. So that actually leads me to my next question which is pilots. I have actually approached the flight attendant before I'm like, "Hey, I'm a fearful flyer." And they actually had the pilot come out and talk to me and I felt like I was being such an inconvenience. I thought these people think I'm crazy. They fly all the time. They love this. Are, are flight attendants and pilots pretty sympathetic? Are they pretty understanding on the plane of like, if I'm sitting totally. there freaking out, like they're cool with it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we all understand from that very basic level exactly what I was just talking about where, yeah, of course, this is a frightening thing. And honestly, it's better, in my opinion, when somebody is able to come to us and say, hey, this makes me nervous because then we can go back there with our iPads and we can say, hey, here's what you're actually looking at today. This is what's going to go on. This is mm -hmm. where we're going to encounter the turbulence. If you have questions, let us know. If you start to feel nervous, let the flight attendant know. You know, all those things where we just all of a sudden have the tools to kind of help you feel more comfortable throughout the flight. And I think human nature is really to help people out. So, uh, you know, it's always walking that fine line as an air crew member to not overstep and, Hey, you know, can I help you? What do you need? You know, to somebody that's nervous. But if somebody does come to us and say, I am anxious about this flight, it really just empowers us to use those tools to, to help, you know, make somebody feel more comfortable and confident with just taking off in general. That's exactly what happened with me actually, as I told the flight attendant, they had the pilot come out. He brought his little iPad out. And this is one of those times where I like yep. over, yep. I got myself way too much information ahead of time. I saw there was a storm on the way to Mexico. I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be turbulent. And then he came out, he's like, no, 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 we're going to go around the storm. Like it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it was just like the best experience totally. ever. So ever since then, I'm like, okay, yeah. there's somebody out there who can help and talk through it. And that's about the same time I discovered dial a pilot. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we've yet talked about exactly what dial a pilot is. So could you explain that for listeners? what your company is and what it does for people. So uh, what we do is we simply provide an airline pilot on the other side of the phone in the form of a 15 to 20 minute phone call. Uh, and it's just a, a opportunity for the nervous traveler to ask a professional uh, US-based either active airline pilot or retired airline pilot that has a lot of experience uh, any questions that they have. And those questions can be before a flight. They can be before you even book a flight. They can be after a flight. You know, if you went through something that was a little bit more bumpy than you thought, or you did a go around, you know, something like that, that kind of caused some anxiety for you. We're here to answer those questions and kind of either debrief or pre-brief you. Uh, and so it's a really simple concept. It's just, you know, give us a call. We'll chat with you and, and answer your questions. And 
Uh, you know, we're constantly looking to expand that service. Um, but that's, that's how it sits right now. And we've been operating for about two months and we've worked with about 150 folks at this wow. point. Wow. You, I didn't know you guys did debriefing actually. And I wish I, I wish you guys had been around after we had a really, really bad flight to Korea last mm-hmm. year. It was, it was and a, I, really, oh really rough. Oh my gosh. It was awful. Like we had to end up dropping from like 35,000 feet to 25,000 feet for the rest. I mean, it was just like, it yep. was a nuts. I've never in my life experienced a flight like that. And we used to fly, not mm-hmm. like business travelers, but I mean, we used to fly across the country like once a month kind of thing. So we used to do it pretty right. regularly to where I was used to a little bit of turbulence, but this was awful. And I wish I could have called somebody and been like, hey, why was that flight weird? Is this normal for going across the Pacific? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I mean, that's just, I, I thought about the ahead of the flight, but knowing that I can call afterwards and kind of walk through that and rationalize instead of sitting on those memories until the next flight would be really helpful. I think. Yeah. That's actually a really cool part yeah. of your service. Oh, totally. So I want to know, like, <laughs> I've got a lot of like weird questions that I'm going to throw to you. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in seeing what you're going to ask though, because he doesn't have a fear of flying. So, so he sits there and he looks and he's like, I don't really understand I, what well, you're going I, through. I start getting scared when she gets yeah, scared though. So like I start feeding off right. of her. I'm like, oh, this pilot has no clue what he's doing. Like, oh crap. Like, what are we doing? And so um, first question right. Um, do you, what are like, do you guys have tools or like, are you able to look at the maps and the weather maps and kind of like gauge like what the flight's going to be like, you know, to, you're like, yeah, I know I can tell it's going to be a, a little bumpy or it's going to be pretty smooth. Like, I mean, how, how accurate are you? Like when you're determining, you know, what it's totally. going to be like, we have these really amazing tools. So the, the airlines provide us all with, with an iPad and we call it an EFB, which stands for electronic flight bag. And uh, again, just a fancy term for an iPad, but it has all these different weather apps preloaded on it. And those weather apps range from anything that comes from the U.S. government to actual accelerometers in each iPad that then drop a pin on the map and tell you how turbulent it is. So we actually have like ways for the sky, essentially. And so I can look and I can click on my iPad and see, oh, okay, this 777 going through at 34,000 feet five minutes ago, they had light chop. And so we can see that and go, okay well, what's this other guy have? And then we'll talk to our air traffic controllers and say, hey, what, what ride reports are you getting from uh, you know, the guys and gals in front of us, the guys and gals behind us, below us, above us, all that stuff. And so we're really able to hone in and find if there's a smooth ride out there, we can get to it nine times out of 10. Uh, we may have to make a turn. We may have to slow down, speed up, any one of those things just to create traffic separation. But to answer your question, we have really, really strong software systems uh, on our iPads. And then also we have access to our dispatchers, uh, which are based all over the country, depending on which airline you work for. And they get really good ride reports as well. Some of our airplanes actually send uh, a different accelerometer information back to dispatch. And then those are reports are automatically uploaded to us. So we get a pretty good idea of what we're going to encounter on, on each flight. Wow. That's, super That's so much more in depth than I thought. Yeah, that is really, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing actually. So how, how, automated is a flight like you know like if you you're the pilot you step into the cockpit are you just hitting the start button and then it takes off itself like how automated is everything happening with you like how much of it is a human yeah, yeah. aspect to the trip yeah yeah absolutely oh sarah didn't like that question <laughs> like, this is uh, so, so insulting no, it's a great a question <laughs> don't do this no 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 it's it's really a good question honestly it's a fun one to answer um So the airplanes, as far as the automation goes, the best way to look at it is the autopilot simply manages the lateral portion of the flight and the vertical portion of the flight. And what I mean by that is it's like, you know, if you have a car that has kind of the radar uh, 
speed control where it'll kind of slow down if a car slows down in front of it, speed up, you know, that sort of thing. The autopilot can do the same thing, but the pilots are giving the commands to the autopilot. So once we're up at actually in the sky, you know, we take off, we hand fly, and I'm going to kind of reverse my way through this question. We take off, we hand fly up to like 18,000 feet, we turn the autopilot on, and then we tell it, okay, I want you to follow the lateral navigation that I've programmed, and I want you to follow the vertical navigation that I've programmed, and then it'll do all of that. Um, but when we actually get to the airplane, the first officer typically does the pre-flight checks and the walk around, and the captain is kind of managing the briefings with the flight attendants, the boarding process, all of those things that kind of come into play. So the, the first officer is checking all the systems. All that's very manual. And then we push back from the gate. We do all of our briefings beforehand. We push back from the gate. We do a manual engine start, which depending on the airplane, some have really automated systems to monitor that start and some don't have any automated systems to monitor it. And so the, the first officer is actually sitting there watching what we call the ICAS, the engine Indi- indication crew alerting system. I realize I'm getting into the weeds a little bit. Uh, so we're watching and making sure that everything's starting the way it's supposed to. Then we do our taxi out. We run all of our pre-flight checklists. I'm sorry, our before takeoff checklists. And all of that is very manual. The captain's driving the airplane as we go around the airport. We set the flaps the way that they need to be. Again, all manual. And then we go rolling down the runway. We take off. That's all manual. You know, you have this big yoke that kind of is in your lap. You steer all the way up to 18,000, 30,000, whatever, whatever you decide, really. Turn the autopilot on, hang out, manage the flight watch the fuel, all of those things. And then once we start our descent again, then it goes back to the manual mode. So the airplane doesn't leave the gate by itself, you know, get to the gate by itself, but it, it can do kind of that mundane, like, you know, you don't want to be sitting there for six hours holding the altitude down to one foot. The autopilot does a really, really good job of that. Gotcha. I like that there's still some... Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, because okay, I mean... Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, no, because there's... I mean as a passenger, like we're walking through, you know, the airplane and we kind of glance like you, you, like the pilot, the cockpit is this like mystery of buttons and levers inside. And we're like, well, I don't know what they're doing in there, but it's cool. And so it's, it's nice to see, it's nice to hear like what, what actually is happening and it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, our whole, the, the slogan that I use with a bunch of our group is, Hey, let's just try and humanize the flight deck. Let's make people understand, yeah. you know, when they get on the airplane, it's just another person up there, but this is what we're actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes such a difference to actually see a face up there. Like I always stick my head like a little bit in the cockpit, like make sure they have their coffee, like checking in <laughs> make sure they're good. Not really. yeah, yeah. But I do. I'm yeah, like, you guys sleep well last <laughs> night. Yeah. Anybody fighting with their spouse? What's going on? Right. <laughs> so, so you as a pilot personally, now we're, we're not going to get into like the, what airline and all that stuff. I want to know like you flying, like what is the worst flight that you've had to deal with? Yeah. So, okay. The, the most turbulence I've ever had was flying a private jet into, into mammoth. And this was back in 2000, this must've been 2015. Mm -hmm. Uh, we were descending in, we were coming over the Western, uh, part of the Sierras and descending through like, eh, maybe 25,000 feet or so and all of a sudden we kind of felt that like kind of rise in the airplane Mm -hmm. and then we just got into the turbulence for like ah, 10 seconds and we got bumped around pretty good I mean there was it was one of those toilets that 
had kind of the like removable you know, pot on the bottom. <laughs> no. And so they, when I like go back at the end of the flight, there's blue juice all over the oh ceiling. My oh my God. I'm really glad no one used that. Oh. So, because I was a co-pilot, so I'm like, I got to clean that up. <laughs> so uh, that was the most bumpy flight I've ever had. But as far as like worst flight, you know, honestly, the stuff that's, that's, I would classify as the worst from a pilot's perspective is really just the stuff that becomes logistically challenging, long tarmac delays, managing expectations of the passengers. Like, you know, when you're waiting on a gate, None of that is really fun, but you're sitting there trying to manage the expectations of the passengers because the last thing you want to do is promise, okay, they said in 10 minutes we're going to have a gate, mm-hmm. and then 45 minutes later there's no progress, and it's like, I just don't know what to tell you at this point. So <laughs> those are the ones that become challenging in a way. Yeah, yeah that, that makes m- sense. Yeah, that makes sense completely. I got to ask, being from Tennessee, we fly in and out of Atlanta all the time. Is Atlanta just a pilot's nightmare? I mean, I see those five runways or whatever they have now, and it just looks like an absolute logistical nightmare. Is it that bad? Right. <laughs> no, it's really not. Okay. Atlanta really runs like a pretty well-oiled machine. Uh, they, they have it really well down. They have some taxiway designs that, that work really well so that we're not sitting there kind of waiting to cross runways on our way back into the gate. Um, so Atlanta does things exceptionally well. And I think they're the busiest airport in the nation by landings per day, something like that. Maybe even in the world. It's, it's amazing how well run that is. But when all of a sudden, you know, weather starts to move into anything like that, that's operating at a really high capacity, that'll really start to slow things down. So absolutely not a shot on Atlanta at all. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. Any, any of those major international airports, when they have a weather system roll through, mm-hmm. it can really start to slow down. Yeah, I will do everything in my power not to fly out of the southeast during like summer storm season yeah. in the afternoon. I yeah. will always take a morning flight because I want to yeah. avoid that at all costs. Yeah, and trying to stick out of Chicago during absolutely. the winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chicago in the winter is not great either. Um, yeah, oh man. Yeah, oh yeah. I Getting slowed down with de-ice and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. And, and Chicago's gotten it pretty, again, their, their de-ice system that they changed to in the last, I think, two years really seems to work pretty well. So I've been, been uh, pleasantly surprised with that. But I still think that you're making the right decision. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just yeah. being from Tennessee and Georgia, like I see those storms pop up on the radar so fast, and I just yeah, when one bad one hits Atlanta, I mean it just like shuts the whole place down. Yeah. It seems like I, I watch a little too closely at the weather, but mm. I, I'm curious if Chris has any more questions because I could ask questions all oh. day about like logistics, like where you're going, what what kind Please, of stuff you've yeah, seen. That's what I'm here yeah. for. I know from a, like we want to talk about fear of flying a little bit. Do you have any questions about that before I jump into more? Because well, about fear of flying, well, I'm just full of all kinds of well, questions. I have one. I do have one more question for you. Me as a passenger, when I walk on to that plane, what is the best thing that I can do to show the pilot appreciation? Is oh, it really good. like clapping at the end of the landing? Like, because <laughs> I, I don't do that. But I mean, is there anything else that we can do to show you guys appreciation or or just be like... And the flight attendants. Yeah, and the flight attendants and the crew. Yeah, yeah. That's a super nice question. Um you know, I mean, honestly, for us, what's always nice is at the end of the flight, you know, whether or not our landing was good, you know, a, hey, nice job. It always, always feels good. Um, but no, I mean, I think just especially for the flight attendants, they they work so hard and they're so professional and really, really good at what they do. And what they're really trained to do is in the event of an emergency, get everybody off the airplane in an organized, quick manner. And they don't ever get to do that, which is a good thing, yeah. right? We don't want them to ever have to do that. So you know, from the flight attendant standpoint, I think just obviously you guys do this, but the, you know, the showing of respect and thank you and all that stuff. And I I think that really goes a long way. 
um, yeah, from the pilot's perspective, we, we just always appreciate, you know, saying hi to each other and, you know, just the kind of in passing, uh, conversations but uh yeah i mean you know we don't we don't need a 20 or anything slid under the flight deck door <laughs> they're taking care of you yeah. okay thanks for asking yeah <laughs> wasn't sure if i should bring you guys more coffee make sure you're awake yeah, for that yeah, long yeah. haul right yeah. Yeah. yeah right so okay that has that kind of is leading me to my next question it's a little bit i mean it's way off from what we're talking about but pilots in the cockpit how many are there do you fly international or where where do you fly? So right now I fly mostly domestic okay. as a 737 oh, okay. first yeah, yeah. officer. So in uh, a month I go to the Boeing 777, which is the international yeah. fleet. Wow. And so that will be all, you know, long haul international stuff, which will be really fun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, okay, to answer your question, how many pilots are there? Yeah. Uh, anything less than eight hours is two pilots. Okay. Anything over eight but below 12 is three pilots. Okay. Anything over 12 is four. And then I think it's anything over 16. It might be over 15 and a half is, is four pilots, but it's two captains and two first officers. Oh, wow. Because you go on a, on a rotating uh, break okay. schedule. Oh. So that's, that's how we do that. Oh, interesting. Wow. And that okay. changes based on the nation. So like the U.S. is different than the U.K. in that. So your ships then, are there always two people? So like if it's an eight-hour flight... And there's two pilots. Are they both on deck the entire time or does one get a break at all? No. So there are always two okay. people on the flight deck. The only breaks we would get in that case would be like a lav break, gotcha. you know, step back real okay. quick, kind of stretch, that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, but we'll have a flight attendant come up to the flight deck in that case, okay. uh, you know, hang out up there. But yeah, there's always two pilots on duty at, at any given time. So yeah, even if it's an eight hour flight, that gets pretty long, you know, seven hours and 50 minutes type thing. But yeah, that's we're we're always both on duty. No one's you know going back and taking a nap type thing. That's good to know because I remember on that Korea flight, yeah. I'm I'm like hyper alert. Like I'm watching the flight attendants, I'm watching the pilots. But two pilots within a few minutes walked by me, and I was like, that can't be good. <laughs> but it was totally fine. I guess yeah, I guess yeah, they yeah. were on break. What are they going to look <laughs> yeah, at? Right? But it was like a 13 hour yeah. flight, so there were obviously multiple pilots there. But I didn't know exactly how many were still left up there. I was like, I just saw yeah. two walk by. Is there only one up there now? That's good to know. Yeah, that I is. Didn't I didn't know that. I yeah. thought you guys. I I legit thought you guys were just like, yeah, you got to suck it up. It's a long haul, you know, sixteen hours. Here we go, kind of thing. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah. No, that I think we would want a twenty slit yeah. under the cockpit door for that one. But uh, no, it's they they treat us really well, and the fatigue risk management programs that are put in place by the Federal Aviation Administration and the airlines. Uh, together they do a really really good job and one thing i will say on this too is like we are never penalized if we call in fatigue mm. or if we say hey that's not going to mm. work for us we're never incentivized to take a flight out there's never any economic incentive to do so mm. uh you know there's we don't get performance-based bonuses type thing wow. so we are always incentivized to make the safe decision which you know as a fear of flying thing i hope helps people feel safe because we're not going to take an airplane that we don't feel 100 percent confident mm -hmm. in uh, you know, with a crew that we don't feel 100% confident in. So, you know, the way that I kind of break this down on our calls is pilots are in the business of, of risk management and risk analysis. And if we deem that the risk has risen to a point that is not acceptable and we wouldn't be able to answer to if we made a mistake, we're not going to take the airplane flying that day. Okay. And so that's where, you know, a lot of that fatigue stuff comes in. 
Okay, that actually makes me feel a lot better. I didn't know that because, you know, you just hear about all these like airline strikes and everything. And I wonder, like, is it because they're overworked? Are they flying when they shouldn't be? But that actually makes me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. This is like calming me. Actually. Yeah, this, this is, is good. Yeah, this is answering questions I haven't heard answered on YouTube or anything. We're actually going to save this conversation. I'm just going to keep it downloaded on my phone. <laughs> we're just going to play Kyle yeah. right, <laughs> right at Sarah when we put right. before to play. He's right. like, calm down. <laughs> Set her up with some Cheez-Its in a, in a podcast video <laughs> exactly. before the flight. That's right. <laughs> That'll be me. Next flight. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I do have another question. And I, I know you probably know the answer to this. But... Um, Checking out the plane, like one of the worst things I could hear is like they're we're having a mechanical malfunction or something like that. Like it's the last thing I want to hear before we're about to take off. Who is inspecting that plane on the ground before we actually get the all clear to go? Who is making sure that that plane gets the all clear? Is it somebody who just got hired off of the street or is it somebody who has been to like engineer school and they know what they're doing? Like who is checking out this plane? Okay. So the airplanes are all designed by in the U S we use primarily Boeing products and Airbus right. products. And so when we buy those airplanes, Boeing has gone through the full process and Airbus has gone through the full process of generating a maintenance manual. And so all of these airplanes are designed with unbelievable amounts of system redundancies, whether it's electrical, hydraulic, oil, fire suppression. I mean, any one of those things. We have all of these different redundant systems. It's it's really amazing to actually go and learn about them. So all of the pilots are trained how to use the systems on the airplane and all of the mechanics are trained on how to maintain those systems on the airplane. So when we get an issue, uh, what would actually happen is let's say we're taxiing out and we're about ready to go and we do what's called an ICAST recall. And that means we just do a final check and we say, hey, airplane, check yourself one more time. And so we check it and it pops up a, uh, I'm just going to make something up, left hydraulic low pressure. And we go, oh, okay, well, we can't take that flying. So what we'll do is we'll actually go to a quick reference handbook that's written by Boeing and signed off by our airline. And we'll run that checklist. And we go, okay, checklist complete. If on the ground, do not take off. It'll say something along those lines. And then we go, okay. We tell ATC, hey, we got to pull over. So we pull over. They find a spot to park us. We get on the phone, really the radio with our maintenance department. And we tell them, hey, this is what we got. And they go, okay, run this, run this. What are you seeing? This is what we see. Okay, come back to the gate. Go back to the gate. And then they get on board the airplane and they actually go through all of their processes and procedures that are defined by Boeing and they are specifically trained to do them. So in the event of a hydraulic low pressure, what that would likely mean is that we have a, a fluid leak somewhere. And so they'll go in and they'll, they'll isolate that leak, find it. And if we have a part to fix it, they'll fix it. And if not, they'll take everybody off the airplane. We'll wait for a new airplane to come in and then we'll reboard that airplane and off we go. And it's, it's a total inconvenience, but again, it it becomes that risk management thing that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So I think the uh, answer to your question is that all of these maintenance technicians are trained uh, professionally and then again, trained by Boeing and all of that oversight comes from the airlines and Boeing. And then the final actual sign off comes from uh, our headquarters at each individual airline And then they send us what's called a maintenance release document. And once we get that, we know that everything has been uh, taken care of the way that it's supposed to. The parts are all appropriate. Everything's been, you know, all of the oversight has been accomplished and we're actually good to go again at that point. So uh, very, very thorough process. And it's crazy how fast things can get fixed. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you would think a big hydraulic leak would be a a really large problem. And sometimes they'll isolate it and fix it in an hour. And I'm like, 
whoa, that was amazing. <laughs> wow. <So. laughs> okay, that actually makes me feel better because yeah. I'm like, sometimes you're like, oh, there's yeah. something seriously wrong. We can't fly. And then suddenly 30 minutes later, like, we're all good. Like, what could possibly <laughs> right. have been no fly right. to suddenly fly in 30 minutes? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and another thing that happens is, you know, they, they get on board and, and there's a issue with, uh, uh, what would be a good example of this? I can't even think of something off the top of my head right now, but you know, some sort of issue that's just an exchangeable part. And all of a sudden they come in and they just throw a new part on and okay, cool. You guys are good to go. And those parts are, are designed to be interchangeable like that. And it may be a, you know, an oxygen canister, something as simple as that, that, that takes literally 10 minutes to remove and replace. Uh, But all these airlines, you know, these airplanes were designed to be airliners. And that means ease of access to parts, getting things changed quickly, get, you know, get the airplane off the ground type thing. Mm Uh, again, not at the risk of safety, but that's just the way that they were designed versus like a Volkswagen, you know, or an Audi that's designed a little bit more for the luxury and the comfort. And that's why it costs $4,000 to get an oil change. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yes. Okay. That's, this is like, this is really helping actually. I still have more questions, I'm sure, but I know we are on a time crunch here. So, um, I guess I have one more sort of like, uh, irrational question and then we'll move into like, do you have any practical tips kind of things? But one more irrational okay. thing. How often do the masks actually fall out of the ceiling? Because that's mm. like my biggest fear is seeing that thing fall down in front of me and Ooh, just like. Yeah. In every a- movie I watch that has an airplane, they always fall down. Gosh, so. Hollywood preys on us. Right. I cannot stand Hollywood. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. No, they, they love it, right? It's all about engagement. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have personally never had them fall. I've never seen them fall. Mm. Uh, I've heard of people have deployed them like on accident because we actually have a switch on the overhead panel that we can deploy wondering. them, you know, if we deem necessary. Gotcha. But as far as I know, it's pretty exceptionally rare. I mean, you'd have to have a, a decompression of the passenger cabin for the airplane to actually need uh, to, to have those oxygen masks fall for us to descend below 10,000 feet and, and really put everybody back in a environment in which there's enough oxygen to be, you know, comfortable and happy and, and, you know, have the cognition to know kind of what's going on. Okay. So that's that's the whole idea behind those oxygen masks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And, okay. But it doesn't nece- it doesn't indicate a crash. It just indicates a decompression. Okay. okay. That's what I have to tell myself. But I've never seen them. I'm, well, actually, I have right. seen one. Somebody's You're fell right. out of the ceiling. One, just one. That was enough to like set me off. But this is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are. You know, they are all an individual like kind of packaged yeah. uh, cases, and they're all in packs of three for the most part. You know, some are in packs of four on the big airplanes. But yeah, one can fall because, you know, a little latch on the plastic thing can can remove itself and they'll fall. Right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, the, the people in that row kind of, uh, do I, yeah. I do? <laughs> you know, do I help? Do I help my kid before I help myself? Yeah. What did she say? That's nope. what you're supposed to do. Nope. 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> right. right. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I, I have one more question in this in this realm of things. As far as keeping other passengers safe from other passengers, is, do, are there like protocols in place? I know, I know that mostly falls on to the air crew, the air stewardess, everything like that. But, you know, we were just talking about the mask falling from the ceiling. And I remember seeing a video online of, it was another passenger who had opened up the door. Um, oh, the Korea flight. It was like a Korea. Yeah. And it was just yeah. like the, all those poor people. I felt so bad. Like it just looked miserable as they're flying and the winds, you know, flapping in their face. So I would just live in Korea now. Like I'm oh, not yeah. going to yeah. So <laughs> at, as far, yeah, I'm all yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So as far as like dealing with other people and passenger, like what, like what are the safety measures in in flights to to help people deal with other people? If that makes sense. Right, right. So that's kind of a tough question, and it's kind of one that I have to punt on, mm. only because we're very much at a, uh, 
you know, when we go through our our security information training, we're on what we call a need to know basis. And so with sensitive security information, I'm not really allowed to divulge, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like flight deck security oh, gotcha. and, and gotcha. you know, dealing with passenger safety type things like that. Um, so, yeah, I unfortunately can't really go into that one. Sure. I hope it. you don't mind. No, no not, not totally, at all. No. I thought you were going in the direction of the Delta flight that just had the they had to turn around because the guy got sick on the plane. Just, oh. I thought that's where you were going. Well, right? I that forgot about that like, one. Uh, yeah, that was just like, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> you know, what may surprise you is we actually have in our manuals how to deal with something like that. No way. So we have our manuals are like somewhere in the neighborhood of six, 7,000 pages. Holy and cow. so anything that happens, we have guidance oh on word. exactly what to do. And what? something like that would be uh, not a fun situation for anybody involved. And I feel so bad for whoever it was that had, you know, the, the tummy issues. Yeah. Oh, but uh, yeah, yeah oh. we actually do have guidance on how to deal with things like that, which, which, you know, may or may not surprise no, you. No, that actually is incredible. I mean, I didn't realize you guys had that thorough of an outline of what to do, but I mean, I saw that poor yeah. that poor guy or girl, whoever it was. I just remember thinking they're never gonna live that down. They're forever that person to their family and friends. So. Yeah, <laughs> you guys want to hear a story? Yeah, right. <laughs> that was me. It's, yeah, uh, <laughs> poor guy. Uh, Christmas uh, is gonna be a lot of fun for him this yeah, year. Yeah, Christmas is gonna be a lot of fun, <laughs> man. So, <laughs> so as far as practical tips go for people that have a fear of flying. Um, what advice can you give us? Any practical tips? Obviously, they need to call you, but is there anything else that uh, that that we need to go that we need to have? I so it comes down to a lot of different things, and and what really kind of rings true for me is understanding where your anxiety lies as a nervous passenger, and so whether it's you know things like turbulence or the tumbling feeling when you're on the airplane, or or kind of allowing your mind to go to the worst case scenario having a really good understanding of, of where your uh, kind of avenue is, I think is the, is the most important part. So then you can kind of stop that cycle once you actually get on the airplane and you're flying and you're starting to notice your mind doing that. So uh, let's say, you know, if you're afraid of turbulence um, and the really like kind of small movements of the airplane make you maybe feel queasy or, or make you uncomfortable, uh, sitting near the front of the airplane is always beneficial. Sitting over the middle of the wing is beneficial because then you're right over the center of gravity, which is kind of where the airplane pivots from. So that's a big one uh, for those folks that you know have claustrophobia. Sitting on an aisle, uh, you know, just those really kind of easy tips like that uh, for folks that have sometimes like a sense of vertigo when they're on the airplane. Sit on a window seat, look out the window, keep your eye on the horizon because what people will uh, talk to us about on their calls is they feel like they're tumbling backwards specifically about five minutes after takeoff. And that's when we really start to accelerate. And so if you can look outside and reference the horizon, that will kind of stop your inner ear from playing that trick on you. And it'll give your mind something to grab onto. So things like that, you know, understanding, Hey, maybe I probably shouldn't watch air crash investigations, you know, seven episodes the night before my flight. And some people like doing that because it gives them kind of ideas. I'm like, oh, wow, aviation safety has advanced quite a bit. But some people, you know, go down that rabbit hole because they're trying to confirm to themselves that they're in a bad situation. And so I think it, it takes a lot of effort to stop that kind of panic from happening. So understanding where, you know, sources from in each individual person, I think, is a really important part. And then finding the tip that works. Because if you try everything, you know, you're maybe not going to notice a change. So just taking one small thing and, and doing kind of the bite-sized bits 
is always the direction that I kind of advise people to go. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. No, I, that's really good advice. I, I'm feeling more empowered. I'm like, this has been really good personally. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm just, I'm ready. Like I, we love to travel. I mean, that's like our job and I haven't let it stop me from traveling yet, but it definitely is like, Oh, I just dread it now. And I used to just like, let's go. Like flight day was like the day I loved it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, yeah. I, I just, I loved the airport. Like it was the most exciting place in the world to me. And now it's like that fear. Like I get there and I'm nervous and I don't eat for two days. Like it's just, it's not me. Mm-hmm. Like, this is good. This yeah. is like I'm working no, on it. No, it's a tough I'm thing. I'm getting to there. But I just, right. I had no idea until I told a couple of people that I was scared to fly. And they're like, me too. People that I never would have expected it. So I know there's a lot of other people out here too who are struggling with this. And I hope that it, this helps them. Yeah. They can help rationalize it. And if not, I mean, like call dial a pilot next time you get on a, or off a plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll be, yeah, we'll be happy to help. And I think uh, if you want me to, I, so that turbulence that you encountered going to Korea yeah. Uh, it was probably what we call sheer turbulence. Do you want me to talk a little bit about that? Kind of give you an idea about yeah. it? I want to go to Asia again okay. soon, so please go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so so there's kind of three main types of turbulence, and, and they're convective, sheer, and rotor. And so uh, the three different types. So convective is associated with thunderstorms typically, and you know we remember all the way back from fourth grade or whatever it was, hot air rises, cool air sinks. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of go through those areas, the airplane kind of adjusts to the air as it's going through it, you experience that as turbulence. So that's convective turbulence. Um, You may hear people call that air pockets. I don't know where that term came from, but somebody liked it and and a lot of people grabbed onto it. So convective turbulence is one, shear turbulence is another, and that is really more of the style of like, you know, where the confluence of two rivers would come together. And right where they hit, that starts to get bumpy right there. Mm. And so... You know, you have those two different streams coming together. One stream has to go somewhere. The other stream has to go another direction. And that is really where the jet stream, as it transits the earth, usually from west to east, it also makes turns north and south. And so where it turns, you start to get into that turbulence. Gotcha. So uh, that's what we're encountering normally when we're up at altitude. So when we're up at 34,000 feet, something along those lines, that's where we would encounter something like that. I would say... Eight times out of 10, maybe even nine times out of 10, changing altitudes will rectify that situation for us. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it doesn't, and we just have to go through it. And it doesn't pose a danger to the airplane. It's just simply uncomfortable. And so, you know, that's when mm-hmm. you would hear let's say you're cruising over the US, you're at 34,000 feet, you get into that sheer turbulence, you'll hear the engine spool up, the airplane climbs 2,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Or you hear the, airplane, the engine spool down, the airplane will descend 2,000 feet. Uh, that's what's going on and that's kind of what the pilots are trying to do. And so we're sitting there actively talking to air traffic control, trying to figure it out. Hey, where's the smoother rides? Okay. So that's that sheer turbulence. And that's likely what you were encountering if it was over that prolonged of a time. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the rotor turbulence, which is another one. I'll just very briefly mention it. That would be like flying into Denver and the winds are out of the west. Oh, okay. As they come around the mountains, it's just like you know water moving through a river and encountering a rock. It's got to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so it'll either go over the top of the rock and it'll kind of tumble or go around, you know, something like that. And so as the airplane transits that, it it can be a little bit bumpy. So that's why, you know, oftentimes we'll tell the flight attendants to sit down a little bit early going into Denver to stay seated a little bit longer on takeoff. So those are really the three main types of turbulence. But going over to Korea, going over the Pacific, you can definitely get into that sheer turbulence over a long period of time. Um, (laughs) And again, I think what's really important here is that it's not a issue for the integrity of the structure of the airplane. But what I always say is like, 
we're actively managing that seatbelt sign and having the flight attendants stay seated because, you know, if all of a sudden you take a can of quarters and you shake it around, those quarters are going to go everywhere inside of the can. The can's going to be fine. Right. But if you take those quarters to the side and shake it around, they're not going to go anywhere and, and everybody stays safe. So that's why that seatbelt sign becomes so important. And you didn't talk about, you know, having anxiety when that seatbelt sign comes on, but a lot of people do. I do. Yeah. And so that's kind of, yeah, it's, you know, it's just a preemptive measure to say, hey, we think it's going to get a little bumpy. Yeah. You know, we don't want Sarah walking around and falling over and bonking heads with Chris when he's sitting on the aisle seat, <laughs> you know, things like that. And so that's really kind of where our minds go when we're, when we're encountering, uh, turbulence or we expect to encounter turbulence but the airplane's going to be fine granted you might not get your coffee in the next hour but uh you know we're, we're definitely trying to find a smoother ride so that you can because nobody wants to stay in their seat the whole yeah. time that's that's absolutely not the goal right no that's really helpful i yeah. mean i you know that people the pilot understands it and i know that people say the plane is safe enough it's just in that moment when you hear that ding of the airplane and the flight attendants told us to sit down, you're like, oh gosh, this is it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not going to be right. good. But I love but your analogies. So right. Like yeah. your analogies were really good. Like it helps me visualize. I'm a very visual learner. And so it helps me visualize. I'm like, yeah. oh, I can, I can make sense of a rock in a river and the, ri- the water has to go around. Right. Like yeah. it makes sense. Total sense. And right. There was something else like a jello theory or I saw something about, what did you call that? It's something about the turbulence. How yeah. It's so the jello theory. Yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, put out by somebody. Uh, I think she's a commercial pilot as well, and she, yeah, just kind of threw a rock in the middle of Jello and shook it around, and she said, the, "See, the rock doesn't fall out of the Jello, so the airplane doesn't fall out of the sky." Which, uh, you know, if you're going to translate that into scientific terms, uh, the way that I do that is the airplane is bound by the laws of physics, and so as long as it's producing lift, it'll continue to fly. And so, you know, we just have to have forward airflow over the wing, essentially. And, uh, you know, we ha- we're in a state of controllable flight. So even when, like, when we go way back to the beginning of the, sh- of the episode, when I talk about, you know, uh, encountering severe turbulence going into Mammoth, we got beat around pretty good. But the airplane was totally under control the whole time. Yeah. You know, we're sitting there kind of getting thrown around in our seats laughing about it. But, you know, <laughs> the airplane is still fine. The airplane really doesn't know much different anyways. It's kind of... It's just trying to get to the to the destination, yeah, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's true. Like, it's just it's physics. I was never good at physics, though, so <laughs> hence my fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we now we go to rudimentary applied physics. I think is is the uh, the maybe the whole goal of dial a pilot. That's right. right. That's, right. <laughs> That's what we're working towards. <laughs> so Kyle. exactly. So Kyle, if people wanted to follow along, if they wanted to contact you or another pilot, like. How can we go about that? What's the best way to, to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you asking. Um, so we have a website, dialapilot.com. Uh, we're also very active on Instagram. And uh, the uh, service actually really got started on TikTok, which was kind of funny. But uh, Instagram, it's just dial a pilot. Uh, on TikTok, it's dial underscore a underscore pilot. Um, so yeah, any one of those. And, and we post all sorts of stuff, you know, kind of prevalent questions or common questions rather. Uh, that we're getting. I'll make a little bit of a video about. We talk about some of the other pilots that work with us. We have some amazing people. Uh, you know, one of our pilots, she's flying the 737 and she's going to learn how to fly F-15s for the Air Force. I mean, oh, some wow. people that are just really, really cool. Dang. So, uh, you know, we talk a lot about stuff like that and, you know, just share kind of success stories from our folks that maybe were nervous travelers before and, and you know, maybe still are, but have really kind of gained that confidence to to jump on the airplane and and understand, okay, you know, I now have the tools at my disposal to, to continue forward. So, yeah, those those are kind of the three uh, best spots to find us. Perfect. We'll link everything down below, too, in the show notes. And 
so people can find you guys because I know there are definitely people just like me out there. So, Kyle, thank you so much. This was great. It's hugely helpful. I am oh, my pleasure. A, step, a much larger step closer to flying again. So this is great. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> thanks for it. Yeah, Chris and Sarah, thanks so much for having me. That was that was fantastic. And I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to What No One Tells You with Chris and Sarah. If you have a comment or question that you want answered on the air, be sure to send us a message to hello at chrisandsarah.com or you can call or text our phone number at 423-825-9572. Thanks for listening.